You're listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Lawrence. Today on Footprints, we welcome Sean Hanrahan, Service Planning Manager at City West Water. Sean is a young person kicking goals. Already a manager of a large service planning team, at the ripe age of 30, he is incredibly smart and very interested in the traits of successful people. You'll find him reading Tim Ferriss, Seth Godin, Mark Manson. He always has an inspirational quote on his computer screen and he's always listening to a thought-provoking podcast. He's very interested in innovation and how people think. And he blends his knowledge of science and tech with leadership and philosophy. He also loves to write and you can find his insightful posts on his blog called Medium. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. It's great to have you here today. To get started, can you briefly describe your leadership journey and how you've gotten to where you are today? Yeah, no worries. Um, so I suppose for me, it started, I guess, at work, taking on a few acting roles. So I started in the business in a customer-facing role, helping customers on water efficiency. Eventually, I um, was given the opportunity to act and, and look after a team um, for a short period of time, probably 12 months. And I kept uh, returned to my normal role. And then a few other opportunities along with, uh, came up in terms of the environmental team and, and a few other spots across the business where I probably acted about four or five different roles and leadership teams for, you know, three, four, five months. And then culminating in, in uh, last year when I was uh, promoted to a, a senior manager of the service planning team at City West Water. Outside of work as well, I, um, I played football for a number of years. And as part of that, I've um, been a captain of the side for a couple of years and also coached for two years as well. So I suppose I had some of those leadership opportunities both inside and outside of work, which both, I guess, have all contributed to help me improve my leadership style over the years and grow as a leader, which has been great. So I've really enjoyed both acting and getting the diversity of experience, but also outside of work, having um, some other different experiences and sort of growing in an environment where it's not a paid environment where, you know, we're volunteer players, we, we play for fun. So that brings different aspects to a leadership style as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's fantastic. So in your role, you manage a large team at City West Water currently. What does leadership mean to you? I suppose leadership to me is starting by leading by example. So it's about building a a culture and and a team, I guess, unified into achieving a specific outcome. So I guess it's it's largely about building that within the group, but then embodying that yourself and also, but embodying that in a way that's unique to you. As a leader, it's very easy in one of the worst mistakes I made when I first started was to try and be someone else as a leader yeah. and then realising that you've got your own style to things and you've got your own strengths and weaknesses. Mm. And my job is not to be strong at everything. My job is to understand what I'm strong at and then to help others bring out their strengths and guiding that towards an, an outcome. So it's about leadership fundamentally is about achieving, uh, delivering on something um, and I guess identifying what that is. Sometimes people will tell you, sometimes you have to discover that for yourself, but it's about being clear on what that is, building the culture and they're leading by example. You know, some of the best leaders that I saw, in particular on a football field, were leaders that led by example and people followed them because, not because they had to, but because they wanted to. And that's ultimately a sign, whether you're at work or, or in a volunteer space, if people will follow you because they want to, then you're a leader. And I suppose the other part to that is being a leader is not something you can probably call yourself. It's what other people will describe you as. So if you need to say it, then um, you're probably not. But if, if others call you a leader and follow you, than you are. So it's, it's definitely something that um, you rely on, on your actions and words, but backing up those words with actions um, and then getting the support of people to follow you because they want to. So do you have a special little uh, routine that you follow to keep motivated and organised? 
Sort of. It changes a bit. I'm not a super regimented person. I do have some broader things that I like to do. So I do like to try and do some form of exercise in the morning. Um, that'll change yeah. between taking the dog for a run or going to the gym or something along those lines. So I try and keep some form of physical routine um, most days, probably yeah. five days a week, but it varies in sort of intensity. I try and read uh, every day and often that'll be through reading newsletters or long form content. As well as that, trying to listen to a podcast as well. That's sort of a couple of things that I do, podcasts in particular on the way to work, in the car or on the train. I've got a handful of ones that I really enjoy and always on the lookout for more. So I try and get, I guess, those new ideas, interesting thinking, challenging thinking on a daily basis. That's something that is a routine between the exercise and interesting ideas and then doing my job. That's probably the main thing. Such a great way to start the day. So have you had or what has been the most difficult decision you've had to make as a leader? I suppose the most difficult decision has probably been, it's probably decisions over the last 12 months in this new role has been going into a space where you don't know a lot of the information and you're not an expert and trusting in the people around you's advice, but um, having to make decisions about things you don't fully appreciate or can't fully appreciate all the complexities around yeah. and that you need to then rely on others advice now when you work by yourself you can you get to know you become the expert you understand what's going on you understand the topic in super super detail and you're very clear about who what and why mm. often when you, as you get higher in the ranks you get thrown more information with le- less more important decisions to make but with less um ability to understand all the aspects of that decision and so it's about having mm. um, having frameworks and and uh, methods for, for calling out when you need to dive in deeper and sometimes you just as a, your job as a leader is to make fast decisions and ultimately that's my a lot of my role is making decisions and, and trying to make good ones and the thing I've struggled or had the hardest time with at times is um, making decisions quickly in a role where I don't understand all the background and all the context but yeah to move as a leader you've got to move a team forward so i wouldn't say it's one decision in particular but it's a series of decisions around you know whether that's big infrastructure that we need to build or plans mm. for the future over that going to have multi-year impacts very quickly in that role um and having to put my ego to a side and to understand that other people far smarter than i have done a lot of work if they've done all the work that's required then we can we can move forward yeah, fantastic. When you were younger, before you were in a leadership role, how did you find decision-making? Is it something that you have always sort of felt strong at? Um, not strong at, interested by would be something where I describe yeah. it. I've always been interested by leadership and decision-making. And then I, yeah. I suppose the more I uh, thought about leadership roles and the more I thought about leadership in particular, I realised how important decision-making was. And then... Mm. As part of that, I started reading and listening and, and thinking about, okay, well, how do good decision makers make decisions? What's the process like? What should you do? Um, who should you consult? You know, what are the thought processes that you should have? What's the capabilities that you need? So that sort of started me on my journey, sort of understanding, because I, I guess I, I've always sort of wanted to be a leader in some respect, not not sure exactly in what form, but I enjoyed the leadership and, and the responsibility that came with it. And then realising that decision-making was a key part and then starting to do some research and, and thinking about what does that mean? Um, that sort of mm. really set me off on that sort of journey. And I, by no means have I I've reached a destination on that, but it's it's something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about. It's been in particular over the last few years and in particular in my yeah. current One of your blog posts on Medium talks about the rabbit hole of self-improvement. How Mm -hmm. did you first become interested in self-improvement and how has this continued in your life today? Yeah, I've always been interested 
in self-improvement, I suppose, I've got a little bit of a type A personality. I do like to achieve stuff. I sort of always been driven, I think. I suppose my parents might have a different answer, but I think I've always been driven. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but um, part of that was then going through school and university, I probably felt at the end of that, where was the interesting material? I didn't I didn't feel as I had there was some real world mm-hmm. practical advice that was being given. There's lots of sort of well-meaning, high-level advice. And I, I was quite frustrated for a while and I was just fortunate that I was looking and then I happened to find, and part of the article's point is I happened to find a podcast run by an innovation consultant here in Melbourne called Collective Campus. And that introduced, I listened to a couple of episodes and that introduced me to a couple of other interesting people yeah, and interesting books and, and other podcasts, which led me to, you know, things like the Tim Ferriss experiment, that, that podcast in particular has got a wealth of guests. Mm. All of a sudden I started to build up a bit of a network and understanding of different resources that, that I thought, oh, these people have like done real world things. They've, they've achieved stuff. They've clearly got um, an understanding and they're giving pragmatic advice where I find some of that the in the self-help can be guided by a bit wishy-washy um, rose-colored glasses thinking that you know everyone's great the world's great you just got to unleash your passion kind of stuff which I, I in my experiences I, I really now disagree with and there's um there's a bit of pragmatism and a bit of real world thinking that I think comes out in some of those other resources that are less well known and you mentioned a few in, in the intro about you know Tim Ferriss and Mark Manson and a few others that are reasonably popular, but I wouldn't describe them as super mainstream, that have made a huge difference mm. to how I think and, and I guess how I've grown as a person. A lot of it was to do with, yeah, being hungry for it and then finally finding a way in and just how it happened that that podcast was my way in. And then I've subsequently found like that once you get in there, you find another author and another author and you try and funnel all the way back to the – because they reference books that influence them and you go to those books, those yeah. podcasts, and you keep going. And then along the journey, you're going to yeah. find some that are really good and other ones that you don't love. But yep. in that process of filtering out, you build this, I guess, repertoire of resources that you find really useful and, and continue to help you grow. Mm. So who are you listening to or reading today? Um, who am I listening to? So I probably at the moment listening to a lot to Eric Weinstein's podcast, The Portal, and Joe Rogan as well. Um, I find Eric Weinstein and, and Brett, no relation to Harvey at all. These two guys are... Um, <laughs> Guys that have been through, I guess, started their careers in academics and are really intelligent people that have run some running podcasts, uh, The Dark Horse for Brett and um, The Portal for Eric that I find fascinating and also Joe Rogan for his diversity of people um, that he has on. Yeah. I don't listen, like he is insane the amount of content he produces and I don't listen to all of it. Oh, to be, so much. To yeah, so much. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's great because there's so much there you can pick from and I think um, yes. that's been, uh, been great. In terms of reading, I probably... Uh, read a lot of Farnham Street. Um, they have a newsletter, a weekly newsletter that, that calls out lots of content that I, um, in terms of articles, are worth reading. And they produce some of their yeah. own, which is really good. And a bit of Mark Manson, um, he does a weekly newsletter as well. And I suppose the book on oh, nightstand at the moment is um, there's a book by Plutarch about Sparta that I'm reading. I've sort of got a bit of a history buff, it really interested that Greco-Roman history sort of thing. So I was just picking up a, a book on that that got recommended. So that's what I'm reading at the moment. Nice. So are you a night reader? If it's on your nightstand, is that when you find time in your day to read? Pretty much, yeah. I, I would read um, before I go to bed. I would like to read more during the day, but it's probably not something that I've had a chance. I get a chance to do that often, maybe sometimes on weekends. I guess that the current COVID situation has created a few more opportunities to read. So that's been that's one small upside. 
but yeah, predominantly it's it's uh, at night. It's probably the time I get the, the most time to do it. I tend to get the podcast in during my commute to work when I was commuting to work. Yeah, yeah. How have you adapted to the working from home during COVID? Um, well, I think it took me a little while to get used to it. I think one of the things about leading teams is the benefits of face-to-face contact. And, you know, this has been a great experience for us as a group to um, embrace remote ways of working. And we've cert- there's been some certainly upsides and, we've you know, using Microsoft Teams more and more. It's been really um, good from that side of things. But I guess part of being a leader is understanding the vibe and how the group's going. And, and sometimes that's a lot hard to get when you're not in the room with people. And also people show a lot through their body language about how they're feeling how they're responding to you and what you're saying, but also you yeah. get sort of tidbits about their state of being and, and some of that by watching people around the office, you get a bit of a feel for who who might need some support, who's doing really well, who's having a great day, who's having a bad day. And that's some of that stuff mm. you get a bit separate from, from when you're doing remote work and, and you also don't have that same level of random sort of collisions with people, I guess, through the office, you know, like, oh, I haven't spoken to you in a while, what's going on? And some of those interactions lead to a lot to um, – lots of insights and stuff that you otherwise would be blind to because you didn't catch up with them because it wasn't in your narrow stream of work that you're working on. Definitely challenging for leaders and, and employers at the mm. moment. What has been your greatest professional achievement and why? So there's probably two parts. So part of what I was doing when I was in um, I was in a strategy and policy role, so I was leading some strategy development. So I, I led the development of a customer and a finance strategy that was, that was pretty um, – it was a really good development experience for me and I was really happy with the end outcome. And I, I learned so much in that process about strategic thinking, strategy development, our organisation, because, I, you know, you learn so much, to, you have to learn a lot to write a strategy. So that was great. And then the one that probably gave me the most satisfaction um, and was still an achievement I'm really proud of was um, a bunch of water corporations got together and thought about how we could um, reduce our emissions. And between a small working group of with some of my peers across the sector, we um, we were able to create a power purchasing agreement with a large solar farm, um, which is going to reduce our emissions at CUS Water by 30%. It's going to give us renewable energy and it's going to deliver us cost savings. And we got 15 water corporations to come together to sign this agreement, Victorian Water Corporations, and it was a sort of two years in the making. We worked as a group. Wow. We became great friends along the journey, the, the four or five of us that, that pulled it together. And uh, to see two years' worth of work come off and to see uh, it make a, a difference and to see what other doors will hopefully open in the future, that was pretty cool as well. And it's something that, um, yeah, I got a real kick out of. Mm, fantastic. Congratulations. Thanks. What do you do to celebrate? Do you celebrate your wins? Um, I pro- it's probably an area I'm not as strong, to be honest. I'm a little bit sort of on to the next um, mm. it's probably a bit of a weakness of mind and it's probably something that I, I need to get better at in terms of enjoying the moment a bit more. One of the, one of the things about, you know, I, I suppose as being a bit of a strategic thinker, constantly thinking about the future, you don't spend as much time in the present as you should. And that's probably something that I could probably do more of is to be more present and to be more, um, yeah, to enjoy some of the things a little bit more than I do. If I do get a chance, I mean, the way I, I like prefer to, to celebrate is whether that's um, having a beer with some mates or, yeah, just, just catching up with friends really would be how I'd sort of celebrate those sorts of things. But um, Yes, yeah, yes. It's a opportunity. Absolutely. And that's the thing with, with driven people, you know, high achievers, you're driven, you're motivated, you're on to the next thing all the time. I think that's it's a really common trait to forget to celebrate even the small wins as you're going. 
Yeah, absolutely. And even as a, as a leader of a team, you sort of look at it, you know, have we celebrated a bit? Have we acknowledged people enough? I know it's one thing for me to be up and on to the next thing, but if I'm not giving the credit and not giving some a pause for my team to reflect on good work, then I'm not helping them out either. Um, so that's something that I need to be mindful of and um, and to, to make sure that I do, not just for myself, but for the people around me. It can be a bit draining for people if they don't, they're not given that chance to enjoy and to reflect on positive experiences. There's like you mentioned that driven people tend to focus on the negatives and focus on where we, how we can get better. And that's important. But if you don't balance that with a bit of, but we also did this really well, then it can be a bit deflating. Yeah. Yep. So what are the key trends facing the water industry? And what do you think are the biggest changes we need to make in the way we think about service planning? Uh, what sort of innovations are needed to take the industry forward? So I think the biggest things that are going to impact the water industry over the coming years are climate change, for one, and the, the reduction in, in water availability and, and needing to think about where that water is going to come from. I think there's also a bit around um, how to use data and how to, in the smart intelligent networks, intelligent utilities, those sorts of things. I think that they'll be, be, play a big role into the future. And then also balancing that with affordability. So often we've got water sources that are historically speaking relied on rainfall and then they're gravity fed down to the people who use it it's a very low cost um, we've got great quality water as well it's a great system but if there's not the rainfall there then you need to look at other sources those other sources are generally more expensive we can see at the moment in our economic climate you know that where people's ability to pay for services is going to be um, impacted and so then Water is essential service. And so when you think about its ability to be affordable to our customers, not just um, and to everybody, in particular the most vulnerable people who don't always can't always pay or have access to those services. So, you know, that's a key challenge. How can data and innovation and that sort of stuff help, whether that's um, innovations in energy, because often that's going to be one of the key things that alternative sources of water, so desalination water and, and, and recycled water, those sorts of things, they require lots of energy to filter the water. And so that'll, that, that means extra greenhouse gas emissions, that means extra costs. So are there innovations in energy that can help us in another, innovations in another sector that will help us in water? And then also there's a few things I'm particularly excited about in terms of the context of machine learning and being able to predict potential asset values. So when pipes get old, they break. Um, when pipes uh, meet certain conditions, they can be broken and that causes you know disruption to services, that causes extra cost to us. So understanding and predicting what assets are going to break before they do and um, part of that is also using uh, machine learning so one of the cool things we did probably 12 months ago was built a little pilot machine learning uh, program so it wasn't me there's some other people in the business that did it but we put cameras down sewers to see what condition they're in and then as they're going down they pick up things now generally speaking a person has to watch all that footage and sort of go oh there's a crack in the pipe oh there's a tree root oh there's this we actually trained a, an algorithm to recognize what was in the sewer. So we did certainly a little prototype and it wasn't the finished product by any stretch, but the possibility of a thing like machine learning to mean that we don't have to have a person or people sitting down for hours on air looking at footage, we can actually get a first pass of a machine would be pretty great. And I think that same methodology applies to a bunch of other things where we can actually, it's not about replacing people, it's about letting people work on the highest value you know, because the best value for that person is instead of having to watch all the footage, they could watch two hours of all the most important stuff and then figuring out what to do. And so I think there's there's real scope for those sorts of technologies and process improvements to help us become more affordable and also more reliable and deliver the services that 
that our customers want and, and need in a rapidly changing, rapidly growing environment. Oh, that's really exciting. Yeah, no, it is. I'd love to know, Sean, how important is creativity in your work and in your life? So I suppose I wouldn't describe myself as an overly creative person. However, and I, if you had to ask me when I was 18, you creative, Sean, I would have said a hard no and I would have said, oh, is creativity, yeah. creativity that important? I probably would have said no as well. My yeah. attitude to that has, has probably changed a bit. I, I think um, creativity is a bit about, I guess, it's creative thinking as, as much as creative doing or drawing. Or I suppose I, I yes. pigeonhole that into, you know, being good at drawing or good at music or, or something like that. It's more broad than that. Um, and I think so it's, I've certainly changed my mind on that as I've developed as a, as a person. Um, I suppose creativity for me is uh, thinking about, I guess I write a bit, like you mentioned, I have a blog, sometimes I, I write, and part of it is combining new ideas. And I wouldn't say that I have a lot of original ideas. It's, it's about um, combining ideas from different people in new ways or in a different context. So for me, that's the creativity that I, that I use. So in, in bringing together an article, I bring together different ideas that I've read from lots of different sources into one form. That's my form of, I guess, of creative expression. Yeah. And so, and also part of it in my, my day job is about thinking about problem solving and thinking about decision making and, and bringing in creativity into the process. So you can still, I think the, the probably the area that I've messed up a, a little bit in thinking about creativity is that you need, you need no constraints, but in fact, creativity is sort of driven by giving yourself some constraints and then working within that, giving yourself a bit of a framework. Um, so you can make really good decisions, do really good work. And there's a, there's a podcast by Jocko Willink, who's a former Navy SEAL, a leadership podcast I listen to a lot as well. One of his mantras is discipline is freedom. And the discipline of the routines that you create and the discipline of your your, your thinking and um, creates opportunities for creativity within that as well. Um, so I think um, there's definitely it's, – it's a skill set that I've grown to appreciate. It's one that I, I use more and more, and it's probably one that if I – want to grow further it's it's one where i need to to think about how can i continue to maintain but it also improve my my creativity and that's a lot for me it's about my digestion of new ideas and new ways of doing things and challenging my perspective to help me think creatively and and to think in um new ways about old problems you know water is is something that's been around and it's been an essential service for (laughs) since you know we started we founded melbourne it's been around um it's really important for a long time so that's not new but it's about thinking um, creatively about old problems, the same problems that we've always had, because the solutions that we'll need over the future are going to be different to the ones we've come up with in the past. So you can often be found with a quote on your computer screen. Mm-hmm. What's currently on your screen and what does it mean to you? The one at the moment is your past doesn't equal your future unless you live there. That's the one I've got on my screen at the moment. I find a few of these um, through the different newsletters I subscribe to and the like. And, and that one in particular for me is about um, not getting caught up in where you've gone wrong in the past. You've got to learn from it. But you're like, there's an opportunity looking forward. I think part of you know trying to maintain an optimism to be an optimist, and I think that's really important in, in a leader and, and in a human being really, is um, yeah, main, maintain the belief that you can do things differently. There's a different outcome in the future. You can learn from the past, but it doesn't have to repeat itself. And so I think that that's what really important to me. And it was just a reminder to me. I try and change them over every week or two. I've kind of got a bit of a thing where my phone in my notes section, I'll often, when I'm listening to something or I pick something up, I'll go and, and type it in. And so and then I've um, built up a bit of a portfolio of, of ones and I, from time to time I'll scroll through and, and pick out a new one just to, to rehash um, and just to remind myself. Because I find that 
after a week or two on the screen, it I probably don't notice it anymore. It just goes to show how quickly you adapt to your environment. Yeah, so true. Yeah. yeah. And so for, I found that, okay, well, if I've stopped noticing it, then it's time to flick on a new one. And sometimes I'll circle back because it's an yeah. important, important message. But um, for me at the moment, I yeah, try and move probably every one to two weeks just to keep it fresh. Yeah. Do you share these with your team or is it more just a personal thing for you? Um, it started out as a personal thing. I, um, I've had a few people over the journey ask me about them. I remember one day our managing director at the time walked past my desk and said, oh, what's, what's the quote? And it was, um, success isn't owned, it's leased by JJ Watt, who's an NFL player. And then a few other people across the journey have sort of pulled out different, oh, that's interesting. What, 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 what does that mean to you or why do you have that up there? And now I've recently started doing an uh, update email to my team every two weeks, just where I share out like sort of what's going on in the, in the team and the broader business, what's the focus for the next few weeks. And I've started to add a little bit of my own, I guess, what I'm stuff I'm thinking about. And so there's another spot where I sort of break into stuff I'm thinking about that can be a little bit non-work related. Like I shared a, a Paul Graham um, article on philosophy that, you know, found really interesting. Whether my team does or not, time will tell. Um, but at <laughs> yeah. the bottom, I often pull out a, a quote that I, you know, I find useful. Um, and so, um, yeah, I share. I've started to share those a bit more broadly. So, try uh, part of it, I guess, is the intent to keep the team connected and updated about what's going on. Um, and the other part is also, I guess, helping them understand my psychology and, and my thinking. So, I think part of another part of being leaders being somewhat predictable to your team, so they understand you and they understand you know, what drives you so that they know and they feel comfortable approaching you because they feel like they know you, you know, that people don't follow robots, they follow people. And that, and part of being a leader is you're sharing a bit about yourself and being, having that openness. And so people feel that they know you a bit, you know, we can't share everything in our lives with everybody, but the, the part of building a social connection and, and a connection with someone is, is giving up a bit about yourself and something genuine about yourself. And, and this is, those quotes and those articles are things, are genuine things about me and that I think about yeah. that I find fascinating. I don't expect everyone else to. I just, I just yeah. think it's helpful for them to know a bit about what I'm like and what I'm thinking about and what uh, some of the things that are important to me. Absolutely. And then when, you know, when the leader is being genuine and offering that up, then people following feel more comfortable to do that themselves and then you get to see the, the best out of them and the genuine parts of them. Yeah, and some of the best things that I've found thus far is in sharing that out, the responses that you get back, you know, whether that's, oh, that was good or, hey, I also found an article that's you know says something similar or even better, which is like I found something that says something different. So yeah. responses that you get back is is, is great um, and it, it opens up the avenue for that conversation for other people to share stuff that they think is interesting. And, and um, I think the whole point is you, you share with that the expectation that everyone's going to, find interesting or everyone has to get on board behind it you know it's, it's your view of the world and something that you find interesting but if a few mm. people in your team find it interesting that that's enough like it doesn't have to be for everybody um all the time it's yep. about something that i find interesting and, and hopefully others do too and if you don't that's okay yeah absolutely well thank you so much for being here today sean it's been a pleasure chatting with you and all the best for your future endeavors and some really exciting stuff that you've got coming up and thank you for sharing today yeah no worries i really appreciate the chat i had a ball so thanks for having me on Thank you for listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow on Spotify to be notified of our next episode. You can find more on our socials at Footprints Podcast.
This podcast was brought to you by Giraffe Consulting. If your business is ready for a new perspective, visit giraffeconsulting.com.au.